Hey everyone, this is Lance Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your one and five Detroit Pistons. Ben and I go into how much we loved the decisive, aggressive version of Cade Cunningham that we saw against the Atlanta Hawks. We talk again about how bad the defense has been, and then we work through the ramifications of immediately starting Jalen Duran. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Okay, Ben, get it out. How good was it to win? Let me know. <laughs> hey, Laz, it's uh, it's good season to be a Michigan football fan. Two years in a row. Um, to be a good to to, to be a Michigan football fan, that is, but uh, particularly good to be not a Spartan fan this year. I will say. You got to play spoiler to some degree last year. This year, though, uh, problems with the snap revenge. <laughs> I will say that a little bit. Yeah, that was that was kind of fun. No, but uh, Michigan definitely conservatively kicked its way to uh, to a win. So, yeah, r- rough year for Sparty, no doubt about it. Yeah, we are already starting to lose recruits apparently, which is oh which no. is bad. Yeah, that's so right. uh, yeah, we are. It's gonna be. This is not the uh, the greatest year. Um, I appreciate Harbaugh running, deciding to run the ball and be conservative as to keep the score close. So when I look back at this game in five years, I was like, oh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it won't uh, feel so bad. But yeah, this is uh, this is exactly what I feared would happen in a Michigan State uh, Michigan matchup. Um, but that's okay. We'll you know next year is next year. We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see who uh, how they work the transfer portal. Uh, we'll see if they get a new quarterback. We'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll be back, I'm sure. Um, the Pistons, though, the Pistons will uh, not be back anytime soon if they keep playing defense like this. Uh, <laughs> no transfer, no transfer portal to work, unfortunately. <laughs> For sure. So I wanted to start. I've like I have a bunch of stuff in the dock, but like I wanted to knock the defense out of the way just because it's the most glaring thing in my mind, and also Pistons- the easiest thing for other teams to knock out of the way. Oh man. The Pistons have the worst defense in the NBA. They've been going back and forth with Brooklyn uh, for that mark. But when I checked uh, NBA.com this morning, they have the worst defense, the worst defensive rating in the NBA, 121.8, which is real bad. That's so bad. It's really bad. Uh, and accordingly, they also have the worst net rating in the NBA in uh, negative 12, almost negative 13 points or 13. Uh, yeah, difference between offensive rating and defensive rating. That that was worse. There's like a the second the 29th team is like a nine something. So that's like a huge gap between them and the and the rest of the league as far as uh, as far as net rating goes. Um, we talked when we talked about the defense last week because this has been a, a problem since preseason. We were like, okay, is it scheme? Is it personnel? It's like okay, so we like we'd like to see some scheme changes. 
Dwayne Casey, to his credit, has tried some sque- some scheme changes. Um, they they've been switching one through five. They've been switching one through four. They've been icing, which is like uh, keeping guys like out of the middle of the uh, out of them like don't let them drive middle. Basically, uh, it's also called no middle defense. They tried some drop like early against the Hawks. They trapped Trey Young and like tried to make the other Hawks beat them. And the other Hawks just like beat them. <laughs> and so now I think after seeing Dwayne Casey throw the kitchen sink in terms of scheme uh, at the same opponent for two games in a row, we can safely say that the problem is the personnel, which is a bigger issue because the personnel is going to be harder to change. Uh, ben, where, where do we go from here? If, uh, if the issue is the personnel, like what, what, how can they improve on, from, on the defensive end? So this is the biggest surprise to me, I think. Um, one through four, not being able to keep anybody out of the... Well, one through four, not being able to keep anybody in front of them is mm-hmm. is surprising to me. Um, I mean, obviously, the biggest change is, you know, Jeremy Grant's departure, which isn't completely new, but still relatively new, right? I mean, you've got Cade and you've got Sadiq returning. You've got Stewart returning. Um. Cade, you know, not a lockdown defender, but certainly has the physical tools, I would think, and the lateral quickness and length to at least be capable defensively. Um, I, I've been surprised to see how, how poor he's been defensively. Sadiq, I don't know, man. He's he's really struggled to keep guys in front of him. Um, Bogdanovich, I didn't, you know, I didn't expect him to be a great individual defender. He's been, to my eye, at least pretty much an Olay defender. Like, you know, just guys just get right past him very quickly. Um, The lack of a big man in the paint consistently. um, Some of that has been scheme. Some of that has been the fact that Stu just naturally isn't um, a a natural rim protector. He's obviously short, but I think his wingspan makes up for that. But he doesn't doesn't jump particularly well. I mean, that's, that's pretty well understood and well documented. But then scheme, I think, with all the switching, keeps him away from the rim a lot. More drop coverage could potentially help with some of that. Um, yeah, man, this has been the biggest surprise. I mean, Casey, I have felt up to this season, has been able to get more out of the defense than the personnel suggests he should have been able to do. At least that's been my read on it until this year. Um, this year, I feel like they've just been the the opposite of that. Um so I don't know, man. If the question is, what do they do? Ugh. Besides get new players, <laughs> I don't know. This has been this has been the biggest surprise, and I'm 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 really I'm really really surprised by this. This is not what I was expecting at all. You know, thinking back to our first episode of the season, I kind of I was expecting them to get more out of their defense than I think everybody else was, and I've I've just been flat wrong about this, and it's it's shocking to me. I've been like on its face. I suppose this isn't terribly surprising. It's like we have said in the past, like, hey, we expected more from Sadiq on the defensive end. Um, Boyan has been good on defense in the past, but is also like 34 and not the most agile person ever. Um, they have they've executed the scheme for like most of last year. And so we came into it like knowing that's the scheme that they want to apply. But they're getting... 
they're getting killed in like all areas of defense. Like not only is the perimeter defense bad, right? Not only is the rim protection not great because like you said, sometimes the bigs are out of the paint. And sometimes like even when they were playing drop against Atlanta, like Stewart is not threatening enough to cut off both the drive and the lob at the same time. Um, and so you can, you know, trade Trey Young was just like picking his poison. Um, but the transition defense has been awful, right? The the communication on the on transition defense has been terrible. I've, multiple times during the games this week, we're seeing like two like no one stopped the ball, or like two guys had to um, two guys had to like fill a lane and like leave another lane like open, or um, you'll see uh, in in their urge to just get back to just get five guys back, they'll put themselves in obvious mismatches that teams like then exploit. Um, and then the rebounding, the rebounding has not been where like we'd like it to be either. Um, Stewart is averaging almost like 10 rebounds a game. Um, but like Sadiq is Sadiq's rebound rate is like pretty low. It's, uh, like it's under 15%. Boyan, obviously not a great rebounder. Cade's, Cade's having a good rebounding season, but like he's the point guard, right? Like you don't, you, it, you should not expect the point guard to be like the second or third best rebounder on your team. And so they're also getting killed on the offensive glass. Like that was the case against Indiana that really killed them down the stretch of uh, one of the Hawks games is their inability to get uh, an offensive rebound to kind of keep the, to keep the offense going. Um, so like, yeah, this is, this is going to be really tough. Um, I think it's like, if the problem is the personnel, there needs to be personnel changes. And so I'm ready to stay up in. I think they should start Jalen Duren. Jalen Duren has been much more impressive than either of us expected him to be going into the season and you and i were already like really enamored with yeah. his overall talent yeah um i don't think this is like this shouldn't be an, ind- an indictment of isaiah stewart right isaiah stewart is like doing um everything he can but unlocking like some more rim protection unlocking some more rebounding right like Dern is very clearly the best rebounder on the team um it's like unlocking some level of shot blocking fear in opposition um, is worth, I think, the the growing pains that Jalen Dern is obviously going to encounter, like if he were to enter the starting lineup. And like you don't even have to start, uh, you don't even have to bench Stu, right? You can start them together and stagger them and, and see how that goes. But yeah, Ben, I'm I'm ready to start Jalen Dern. I've seen enough. I think it's time. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say is I think you would have to bench Stu because I don't think you can bench Bogey. Because he's just been that's why too good. You, you bench Sadiq. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah. I can I can see that. I yeah. can see that. Yeah, yeah. Bogey's been too good. He's just he uh, he was the focus of the Atlanta defense in the second game, and I think he struggled a bit. But he's been their most consistent weapon offensively. But yeah, I could okay benching Sadiq. I can I can hear that case a little bit. Yeah, Jalen Duran. I mean, he's been. I've been living for his minutes, so I can hear that case for sure. Yeah. I And just like benching Stu would not be an indictment of Stu, benching Sadiq would not be an indictment of Sadiq. Um, it would be more to say that Boyan has been so good offensively that you can live with his defensive mistakes, um, and Sadiq has just not been as good as Boyan offensively. And so if you're if you're trying to get more semblance of defensive balance into the starting lineup um, and you, you don't want the offense to completely crater, it's like 
that seems the the clear answer to me um i don't think they would do that <laughs> i think they would definitely uh rather bench the one-year vet rental who uh may or may not be on this team next season and mm-hmm. is not going to be up for a uh, restricted free agency and uh is not like one of troy weaver's hand-picked guys but uh, i think that does make more sense for the team in the short term if they just like hey we would like to be more competitive on a night in night out basis um Sadiq coming off the bench would actually help the bench too. The bench has been another uh, pain point. Yeah. Well, we saw some adjustments from Dwayne Casey on that end, and I did want to uh, bring those to the forefront as well. Um, it seemed, especially in the second Hawks game, when Jaden Ivey was back and playing, they made the conscious effort to have one, at least one of Ivey and Cade on the floor mm-hmm. uh, at, I want to say at all times, but there were times it looked like they were playing Ivey shorter minutes because of his illness. And so, like, when Ivy's fully healthy, it does seem like they will put one of those guys on the floor at all times. That should definitely help bench lineups, but the bench was still not great over the last week or so. <laughs> so, I don't know. Will, will that help, Ben? Will putting one of the starters, making sure the bench, we don't have any more all-bench lineups anymore, like, will that help? I mean, it helps insofar as... Cade and Ivy are better than any of those other guys. But, I mean, those other guys are still those other guys. Like, that bench unit is just not good. Like, the, Alec Burks will help, right? Like, assuming he comes back and shoots the ball the way he's capable of shooting the basketball, that helps a lot because that that unit just cannot put the ball in the basket. Um, I mean, Kojo can, which is crazy to say <laughs> still, <laughs> I mean, Killian cannot throw the ball in the ocean right now. Um, he is just having a terrible year. Mm-hmm. It's so painful to watch him struggle. Um, it's so painful livers, you know, livers is doing livers things, you know, not, not, not amazing, but just, you know, doing his thing. Um, you know, Duran does his thing and he's still, you know, pretty much living off of other players, which is fine. That's completely fine. But like, that's that, where we want him to be at this stage in his career. Oh, absolutely. Right? That's exactly what you want him doing. You want him dunking alley-oops, you know, rim running in transition, um, putting back things on offensive rebounds. That's all you want him doing right now. And that absolutely makes sense. But, you know, there's just no offense. So you throw Ivy or Cade out there, and that absolutely makes sense for one of those guys to be generating offensive opportunities for themselves. But then, you know, who who is – it's Cade or it's Ivy. Who are they kicking it out to? I mean, you're kicking it to Killian in the corner, and he's making 25% of those looks. Like, I mean, it's not like Ivy can force Killian to make those shots. He's either going to make them or he's not. And so far it's not, right? So – I mean, yes, it makes them better. It makes the second unit better in that you're putting a better player into that unit. But I, I don't know. I don't think it magically ma- makes those other guys better. Um, those guys still are who they are. Um, so I, I think that ultimately is the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've just been they have just been bad. They have just been really, really bad. The one thing I I kicked this idea around in the preseason a little bit. I am interested to see if Killian has the strength and size to ever be matched up against small forwards. 
I'm interested in seeing if he could ever potentially be like a point small forward kind of player. So like if you could run like um, Kojo, Ivy, Killian, right? Or Cade, Kojo, Killian. Like could that ever be viable? Um, you could potentially run, you know, Livers and Duran, or you could potentially throw Burke Burks in place of Kojo. Like you could potentially shuffle enough shooting in there to make Killian work at the three. Um, you potentially have two guys who could attack if you have Kate and Ivy in there as the secondary ball handler or as the primary ball handler, excuse me, Killian's your secondary ball handler. And you know what Cade and Ivy, one of those guys is enough of a shooter to command some respect. Then you've got Burks in there at the two or Kojo, depending on who's healthy at the time. So you've got some shooting at the shooting guard. Then you've got livers at the four. Obviously that person can shoot and you've got Duran as a vertical lot. So you've got, two ball handlers, three shooters, and a lob threat. Maybe that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, right now, man, um, that that lineup's just bad. It's just a bad lineup. And I don't know how much there is. I just don't know how much there is you can do to save it right now. Yeah. I like the idea of trying Killian as like a uh, ball handling and D small forward as opposed to like a three and D small forward. Um at this point, it is going to take some creativity to get Killian to work because clearly it's like, I don't know. It's frustrating to me because somehow he's squeezing out like five assists a game yeah, every game. Yeah. And it's like, I have no clue how he does it yeah. when all nine guys on the floor know he wants to pass the ball. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but he does it. So yeah. there's got to be something to that. And uh, he he's getting open looks. He's just missing them. Um, every shot looks like really uncomfortable for him. Mm -hmm. Um, it, uh, it looks, he definitely looks like somebody who's in the midst of like reworking their entire jumper and relearning how to shoot. And, uh, not, yeah, that can't help his confidence, but he's also, he has, he just hasn't been good. His true shooting percentage is like 20 or something. It's rough. Yeah. That's, that's really bad. Um, to get more. To, if you're going to stagger like Caden Ivy, it's like this is also part of the reason why I like the idea of Sadiq on the bench because that does give them another alleged shooter to to like roll around with that pairing. Um, but it's like if we're if we're putting Stewart on the bench in order to start Duran, like all of a sudden, or sorry, if we're putting Sadiq on the bench to start Duran, like now like the bench big with those lineups is Stewart. And so now we're running into the similar problems where um, we're running out like a lineup of like, you know, Ivy, Killian, Livers, Sadiq, Stewart. And like there's not there's kind of enough shooting if uh, if um, if uh, if Livers is being consistent and if Sadiq is uh, being consistent, like there's kind of enough shooting. But that lob threat isn't there as much. Mm-hmm. And defensively, you're still with Sadiq, Livers, and like Ivy as as your uh, perimeter guys. I think that's not that's not good enough on defense. And so, like, yeah, this there are a lot of like imperfect pieces on this Pistons team, and like getting a bunch of flawed pieces to work together is like part of the coaching staff's job. But like, I don't envy them right now. It seems <laughs> like it rough. seems like it's going to be really tough to put this jigsaw puzzle together. That's rough. Yeah. And I mean, let's not forget, like this, this is a really tough opening schedule. I mean, yes, that's true. 
like we're going to face Golden State tonight. So for everyone who's listening Monday morning, we're recording this prior to the Golden State game. Golden State is, we're, we're sort of lucky. They're coming in off a tough, they're coming in on a Sega Baba. They just lost in overtime uh, last night. Tough overtime loss. We don't know who's going to play and who's not going to play for Golden State. So maybe Steph we'll, was lobbying to play. So that, okay. that did not that did not make me encouraged. Okay, but. yeah, I would I would assume Golden State really wants to win. Yes, <laughs> they want to win this game after a tough loss. But it it is a tough. It, like there's a lot of things. The, the 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 cards were stacked against this Pistons team for the first ten to twenty games, right? So this is probably going to be one of the roughest stretches of the season. And I keep trying to tell myself that. But yeah, it everything has kind of gone wrong so far, except for like Jaden Ivey being better than expectations and Cade having like three brilliant halves of basketball. Otherwise, everything else has been pretty bad. <laughs> Actually, I mean, like, let's talk about those three brilliant halves of basketball, right? Because yeah, those have yeah. been the most, well, yeah, those have been the most, three out of the four most recent halves of basketball the Pistons mm-hmm. have played. Yep. And so we should probably talk about that. Uh we had a, we had some questions for K. We wanted K to step up and be more aggressive. He's shown that in the last two games against the Hawks, career high thirty five points in the second game. Yeah, um, fewer three point attempts. He's still That's he's sub thirty. Yeah, but he's sh- shooting fewer of them, which I think is good. More mid range attempts, uh, attempts, getting to the free throw line a little bit more. Um, he's looking just coming out of the gate being aggressive, Ben, which I think is what we were we talked about and what we were looking for out of him moving forward. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, as a rook, about 35% of Cade's attempts were threes, which I don't feel like there's like some arbitrary percentage of his attempts that should or should not be three point attempts. Like, I don't, I don't think that. Um, What I care more about is his approach to his offense. And I feel like those two Atlanta games, like if I could just clone that approach, (laughs) like he doesn't have to shoot the ball that much. You know, like he doesn't have to have that ratio of attempts in the paint or the mid-range. But, like, just the way he approached and attacked the defense, like, oh, that, to me, that was just the, like, the best, like, just the best I've ever seen him attack. And, uh, obviously, if it weren't for those ticky-tack fouls he got called in that second game against Atlanta, I mean, he would have put up 40-some points, right? I mean, he was on pace to put up you know, to threaten 50. I mean, he was just absolutely unstoppable in that first half of the second Atlanta game. And that was after being unstoppable in the first half of the first Atlanta game. Right. So they were obviously clued into him as well. So uh, this, this is the Cade we've, we, that I've wanted to see not settling for three point attempts, even if they're open. Um, Very, very opportunistic in the way he was, uh, getting to the rim when it was there, drawing fouls, not being scared of contact, still not getting fouls. I mean, the clip that went viral on Twitter, the the dunk that was clearly an and one that didn't get called. Um, you know, he's still not getting calls from the rest, which is incredibly frustrating when they're when they're obvious. But get getting to the line, some especially in that second game, um, putting pressure on the defense with the dribble, and then you know only taking the three. When, it, when it's clearly the shot he ought to be taking, right? Like not settling for the three just because it's there. Um, you know, that that's the Cade that I am completely infatuated with and am just so happy to see. Um, I'm glad that he continued to play that way when Jaden Ivey was back in the lineup. 
because the narrative I did not want to see was, oh, Cade's better with it, with Ivy on the bench. And that, that narrative did not need to happen. Um, you know, clearly they can coexist and, and they, they both kind of showed that with Ivy back in the lineup. But yeah, man, this is the Cade Cunningham that uh, clearly he, he was, he, he wanted to show that he's for real. And he did that. Um, you know, he's not going to go score 35 points a game every night, obviously, but the, the approach to the, his offensive game that he demonstrated in these two Atlanta games, that is the, that is the mentality. That is the ferociousness. That is the tenacity that he has to have for 82 games a season. I think for the Pistons to get where they need to be. And I, I think that's that's the mentality that he's going to have to learn that I don't think is necessarily like his comfort zone, right? Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that's necessarily where he, he's clearly a facilitator. He wants his, he wants to get everybody involved. And I, I get that. That's, that's just part of who he is. But I think he's going to have to grow into that role um, for the Pistons to be competitive. And, um, you know, that, that's what I'm wanting to see more and more of it. It was, it was so much fun to watch, even though the Pistons didn't win. It was so much fun to watch, and uh, look, that's where that's where I want him to be. If and when he gets there, I mean, the sky is the limit for the kid. Yeah that that is the Cade we have faith in when we think about the future of this team, right? Cade is averaging twenty two and a half points a game. He's averaging basically like twenty two and a half, five and a half, and six uh, assists per game. He's shooting. 44% from the field and 20 it will be nice and say 29% from three, but, uh, <laughs> but he's shooting fewer threes per game than he, than he was last year. Right. Just like in general. And I thought even when he wasn't getting all the way to the paint, if he was getting proper screening, right. If he was getting the space to attack the Hawks who were uh, using a drop most of the time, if he was getting the space between like Capella and the free throw line to take like that open mid-range shot, like that is the shot he wants to take. He's super comfortable taking that shot and he was able to get to it early and often. And that really put him in a comfort zone. Um, and then from there, right? Like he can play in that like eight to 12 range. He can like take that one more dribble, make the defense commit. Um, he's able to find, he's able to continue to find Stewart in ways that don't always lead to Isaiah Stewart scoring, but should <laughs> occasionally. Uh, but yeah, you, you're right, Ben. I think his natural instinct is to play make, but I hope that these games were uh, illustrative to him. That is like, you is like the only chance we have of winning is like, if you go like take us there. And so I hope that that helps the mindset. The thing that really stood out to me though, was so after the second Atlanta game, right? Career high 35, I think he had like 35, eight and eight. Um, and they, they still lose. And like, they show the clip of him on uh, like, uh, you know, in like the handshake line, like congratulating guys. He looks furious. Yeah. Right. He yeah. looks pissed. Yeah. And it's like, I, I appreciate that level of competitor within Cade like that is that is what I like to see I um it was like as a Detroiter right like I'm happy he scored 35 but I'm I'm mad we lost uh, and I like that like he also strikes that balance but what was also pointed out to me when I like said that on Twitter was like hey like like yeah he's mad and like we want him to be mad but like they're going to do a lot more losing and we don't want him to get frustrated like with the experience of like being on the Detroit Pistons and losing 
And so I do hope that they're able to, uh, I hope that they're able to find some more wins. I hope that they're able to find some ways to like, keep him being aggressive. Um, I do wonder, like Jay Nivey was clearly limited in the second Hawks game. They played him short minutes. I think they only played him in like five and four or five minute bursts. I mean, I think he only had 12 points. And so it was like when, when Jaden Ivey, who has been really good this year, is more healthy, I do wonder um, how they establish more of a balance because it does seem like as Cade is handling the ball more and being more aggressive, we are seeing less out of Jaden Ivey. Um, but that's like that is a balance that those two are going to have to strike, and I am confident that they'll be able to find and strike that balance. I will say though, like your your Ben Math subtweets have like not gone unnoticed. Ben Math has been. <laughs> very very good for the pacers and uh it's not and it's like it's uh for me it's more about i was right about this guy it's, to... it's more about being annoyed that i cared than anything else like <laughs> this is what i get right like this is what i get for trying to do draft analysis <laughs> all right so here's my i want i want to say one more thing about cade sure if i am scheming against cade as it like I'm right, I'm trying to defend Cade Cunningham as a as a coach, right? What am I more concerned about? Am I more concerned about Cade Cunningham coming off a pick and roll and settling for a semi-contested three-point shot? Or am I more concerned about Cade Cunningham 16 feet from the basket with an active dribble, just about ready to make his First dribble move coming off of a pick and roll. Active dribble. I know he can get by his defender 16 feet from the basket. And he's got all of his tools at his disposal. Right? Which one of those two things am I more concerned about? Definitely the downhill version. Yeah. Right? Isn't that... I mean, it feels so obvious to me. Right? Because he, he can score. He's got the length to elevate from from 16 and in pretty much like he can get his shot off pretty much at will. It's a relatively high percentage shot. Like, and even if like he, he dumps it to Stu and Stu doesn't finish, like Stu's not going to be that guy forever. Like it's going to be Duran or it's going to be Bagley or two years from now. It could be somebody else. Um, he can kick it to bogey or somebody else for an open three. He can maybe get all the way to the rim. He can maybe draw a foul. Like, there's all those options that are available. He's had this really interesting um, spin move that he's been doing, spinning into like a semi fadeaway uh, jump shot that seems almost unstoppable to me. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody who's been able to guard him can successfully con- contest that shot. It's been like eight to twelve feet away. I don't think anybody can contest that jump shot. Like. There's just so like if you were to do a flow chart of the available options from Cade Cunningham, 16 feet away with an active dribble going downhill, like the flow chart of things you have to worry about as a defender and as a defensive coach trying to scheme about all the things you got to worry about. Like, okay, Cade Cunningham shooting a three, that that's it. That's all you worry about. Cade Cunningham, 16 feet away with an active dribble, like the possibilities, there's just so many more. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I want Cade making the defense worry like that's the Cade I want and in Atlanta he he was cooking 
So getting his own shot, he knew he was he knew he was cooking. So he was getting his own and it was working. But even on the nights where his own shot isn't there, I feel like putting that kind of pressure on the defense is just so much better for the team, right? And even with the roster not as not up to the level as as we would want it, like when it gets to the level that we will want it to be, like he's going to be getting those double digit assist nights because he's just so good at putting pressure on the defense, right? So that's what I mean about the approach. Like that mentality, I feel like Kate is just do that. <laughs> like clone that mentality, Kate. Like yeah. that that sort of pressure that you put on the defense against Atlanta, like that's the Cade that can be perennial all-star, right? Don't don't defer, man. Be the guy. And, and that guy can that guy can set a ceiling for the team that could potentially be really, really good in two to three seasons. Yeah. When it was like when you settle, it's like at, if you want to facilitate, if you want to make life easier for your teammates, it's like you settling is the opposite of Correct. That, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's like even if you're even if you're not uh even if you like you feel like you need to shoot yourself into a rhythm, even if you feel like your shot is not like on that particular night, like when you attack, you open up so many more things. You open up so many more variables for, for the defense and for your teammates. So just keep doing that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, this is what, this is the sixth game of the second year. Right. Like I have full faith and confidence that Cade will, will figure this out and strike this balance. Um, But like, absolutely is really great to just see the proof of concept, like in these last two games. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, what was the last thing I wanted to talk about really? So I, I didn't want to talk about Stewart just like by himself, independent of the struggles from the, the rest of the starting lineup, independent of the calls to start Jalen Duran that we are putting out there. Um, Stewart has been, I think, disappointing offensively. Absolutely. Yep. He's shooting 22% from three on, uh, wide open looks all of his three-point looks are wide open because defenses know that he's shooting 22 percent from three and this is a new experience for him um we saw a like couple of we saw a couple of like mid-range shots from him in the pacers game that looked a lot cleaner the footwork looked a lot better he was able to get them out quicker i hoped he would see a little bit more of that integrated into the offense we haven't this week um but like with all that said He's somehow averaging like five and a half free throw attempts a game and he's averaging 12 points and 10 rebounds. Like to me, it's really striking that he's able to be as productive as he's been despite the obvious offensive limitations and like defense is not treating him as a threat. And so I'm curious to, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Ben, about like what that would mean for Stewart in a role change, right? Like, as we think about, like, clearly they want to play two bigs. It's like, as we think about a future Stuart Bagley, Stuart Duran, Stuart plus X front court configuration, it's like, what does Stu shooting 22% from three but getting to the line five and a half times a game, like, mean? Yeah, it's really interesting. So he's shooting almost 58% inside the arc, which is actually pretty remarkable. I mean, that's re- that's really, really good. Um. Combine that with the the free throw attempts, which is surprising how much he's getting to the line. You know, we'll see if that holds up. But it's been surprising how much he's getting to the line. It actually means he's somewhat 
useful offensively in a way that we haven't seen before. And um, in a, in a really surprising way, Um, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to get through 20 games and see what his three point shot chart looks like. I'd like to see if there's like a a hot zone, right? Like I'd like to see if there's a spot on the floor from behind the arc that he's capable of being a consistent shooter. And maybe there is, maybe there's not. Um, I, I think Stu is capable of being a rotation big in the NBA for a quality team. Like I, I believe that's the case. Um, should he be a starting center on a playoff team? Eh, that that's where it starts to get harder, right? And so I think you know that's that's the question Isaiah Stewart has to face. That's the question the Pistons have to face um, as they develop Duran. And I I think it's a a fairly obvious answer. I I don't think this is a particularly hard question. I think what you have to answer is how do you make the transition and when? And um, how how much time do you let Isaiah Stewart play his way into that realization, I guess? Um, You know, Stu has had what? This is his third season? Yep. I mean, I'm inclined to give him 20 to 30 games to see if he can figure out a three-point shot. And if he can't do it, he's playing, what, 28 minutes a night? Something like that, yeah. That's a little more than half the game. Duran is playing 21, 22. somewhere in there. I mean, if if I'm coaching, I know you wanted to decouple this a little bit, just talk about Stu, evaluate him on his own. But, like, I mean, 28 minutes – 24 to 28 minutes that's that's probably an appropriate amount of time for a rotation big right i mean 28 is probably a little on the high side 24 probably is about right if you can play him at all at the four and that probably is contingent on if he can find a way to score outside of the paint at all and so far the answer has been no right so i'm inclined to give him 20 games maybe 30 to see if he can prove that he can score outside of the paint. And if he can't, then I think it's time to start bringing Duran in a little more, a little more, a little more. Um, the thing I think you have with Duran is if you're Dwayne Casey, you have established yourself as a coach who distributes minutes based on team defense, right? So if you bring Duran in, and he's just terrible on team defense. I feel like you're undercutting yourself a little bit. So I think you have a little bit of, of that to worry about. But, yeah, I mean, Stu, he's, his offense just it, it just isn't there, right? I mean, there's no way around it. And that that's the problem for Stu. If it, if it hasn't developed and it doesn't develop in the next 12 games, 13, 14 games, I mean, I feel like you've given him – two seasons and change to, to do it. And I think maybe the realization is he's probably just not a starting caliber player. Right. I mean, and I think that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being a rotation caliber, big man who plays really good defense at the team level, right? Not an outstanding individual defender and who does good garbage, 
garbage offense around the rim, gets to the free throw line, finishes creatively around the rim and that kind of stuff. And you can carve out a long NBA career doing that kind of stuff and be a, a crowd favorite, right? Like you can be that guy and that's okay. And yeah. I think for Stu, the challenge will be, you know, is that a role I'm, I, I'm comfortable and willing to accept? When, when I watch Stu and I think about like what they want to do with Stu, um, I know there was there was the talk in the offseason about how the double bigs uh, thing they wanted to emulate Boston with Robert Williams and Al Horford and how Stu was going to be the Al Horford of that situation. When I watch Stu, I think more of like PJ Tucker, like the four slash five, the guy who shoots like five times a game, but is out there defending the other team's like best or second best player is out there like crashing the offensive glass, being physical, doing everything, um, doing everything that you need to do as part of a successful lineup, but as like the fifth and final offensive option on a, on a successful lineup. Um, There is to me, at least there's like some hope that Stu can get there from the perimeter. He is currently shooting 22% from three. Yes, all of his looks are wide open, but have, it feels like half of his looks have gone like in and out. Um, and so it does kind of feel like there is a, there, it feels like there is like a four for six game like in there, like coming. And that won't change the way defenses play him, but it'll be good for him from a mentality standpoint. It'll be good for him from a, like a reminder standpoint. Like, hey, like I, I'm putting the work in to do this. Like I can shoot these shots, especially if I'm left open. And eventually, like, you won't get to a point where teams are, uh, like, closing out hard on Stu. But I do think you'll get to a point where if he starts to make those shots more consistently, teams will be forced to at least, like, not camp their center in the paint or, like, not send two to the ball when Cade comes off a a Stu-like slip. Um, But, yeah, like, if we're talking about Stu as the fifth option on a good team from... A, or like a rotation big man perspective, it's like a big part of that is being able to play next to another big. Um, you talked about giving Stu like 25, 30 games to, to see whether or not he can shoot. Like hopefully, coincidentally, that will be the same amount of games that Marvin Bagley misses, right? Oh, and yeah, so we'll be sure. able to see um, whether or not like that pairing can work or whether the, you know, the if Bagley is able to enter, re-enter the rotation, like maybe that makes them more comfortable with uh, a Duran Stewart starting lineup or something like that, right? Um, and yeah, so I it's been it's been interesting to me that Stu has been able to find the level of production he has despite the fact that um, he's not shooting really well from the three point line and he put a lot of effort into it. But the free throws help explain that. The fifty eight percent inside the arc, like you like you mentioned, helped explain that. But uh, yeah, that's just been interesting to me. The other thing I was thinking about as I was like doing the sheet this morning is like Marvin Bagley should not have been this load bearing, right? Like they should not it's like this, this, the Marvin Bagley injury. Like I'm very glad he's not out for the season. I'm very glad we will pro- we'll probably see him again this season, but like, I'm stunned at like how important he was uh, to this team moving forward. <sighs> okay. Uh, ben, this, this is your corner. What, <laughs> what's on your mind? What have you been thinking about uh, as you've been watching these Pistons? Uh, what have I been thinking about while we'll be watching these Pistons? Well, kind of fitting that this is the year of the teal, 
It's kind of what I was thinking about when they brought it back, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Uh, I okay, so I liked the TLS. I I did like it. I was kind of surprised. I liked the court. I liked the broadcast. I liked the way the jerseys looked. I also liked the fact that we're not going to see too much of it. I liked yeah. I liked the uh, I like that it's a rare thing. It was, it, it was uh, it's kind of like a special thing. You see it a few times. It's a nice a nice reminder of a bygone era. But uh, fitting, they brought it back in the air that the team is absolutely abysmal. Um, I, I, I'm trying to tell myself, as I hinted at earlier in the podcast, though, that this team will get better. There are guys that are going to get healthy and that are going to help. The team is not going to be, you know, like one in five and one in six and one in seven. They're not going to win one out of every 10 for the rest of the season. It's a young team. They're going to get better. The last 20 games of the season will be better than the first 20. Um, but, yeah, it, it this is this is the – the Pistons were set up for a very difficult start to the season. The second half of the season will be better than the first. That's what's on my mind right now. Trying to tell myself that before I push send on the tweet. That's – that's <laughs> I got to remember that. Yeah. The, the way – I want to shout out uh, – at Cal underscore Detroit, who put it the the way I feel about the teal the best. He's like, the teal looks good. Like, <laughs> objectively. It's like, okay, like, yes. It, like, the the court looked great. The the jerseys looked clean. Like, again, that Kay Cunningham number two teal jersey is going to sell a bunch of stuff. He said, it looks good, but it doesn't feel right. And, like, that's basically <laughs> how I felt. It's just like, it's like, it looks good. It's very authentic to the teal experience. Like, the the fidelity to the that era is like right there. You see it. But like when I looked at the floor, when I looked at the team, it's like this is not the Detroit Pistons. This is like something else. <laughs> and it's just like that's how I've always felt kind of about the teal. I do agree with the people who are like just keep the horse head and put it in red, white, and blue. I was like, sure, yeah, I'm fine with that. That sounds good. But yeah, that was that uh, having one guy score 35 and they gave up 130 and lost is definitely like the authentic teal pistons experience and so uh i am also glad that we will not see them uh very often uh, during the course of this season all right ben the rest of the schedule uh this week we mentioned that they play the warriors later tonight they have not played the warriors yet we don't know how that game is going to go but yeah this is this is uh this is bad they play the warriors and then they play a back to back monday night in milwaukee they play Wednesday night in Milwaukee, the home and homes again uh, coming in to cut down on travel. And then they come home on Friday to play the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, that looks like a one in, that looks like an 0 and 4 week again, which is like what a 1 and 9 start to the yeah. season. Bucks still undefeated, only team in the NBA, still undefeated. Cavs, you know, doing Cavs stuff. Donovan Mitchell exploding. Yeah. Yeah, not rough. Rough ten game, rough ten game opener. That's for sure. It's it's not looking good. Yeah, I will say the game after that Cavs game is the Thunder, and you look and you're like, oh, the Thunder, like that might be another game the Pistons can take. But three like, three. no, the Thunder have won like three games, mm-hmm. and Shea Gilgis Alexander is averaging thirty points a game, and they're playing really well, and so it's like that. That's, that's also like not a good looking game. Uh, and so we'll, we will see 
but like, yeah, we, we talked about how tough these first 20 games for this Pistons team was going to be. It is not easing up anytime soon. All right, Ben, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find those uh, soon to be deleted tweets. <laughs> uh, you can find me at BR Golker on Twitter. Uh, you can find me in the comments of all the podcast posts on DetroitBadBoys.com. I read them all. Don't always engage directly because I, but I always appreciate the feedback, especially on the podcast posts on Detroit Bad Boys. I I appreciate the feedback too. I read all of them. I want I want you all to know that uh, the smoke detector was going off on Saturday, and my first thought was I need to fix this. Not because it's like oh if there's a fire it'll be bad. It's like if the smoke detector goes off during the podcast, like I'm gonna get like three comments about it, and I don't want that. So thank you. <laughs> so thank you all for making me fix the smoke the battery on the smoke detector. I appreciate it. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. See you.